This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. Long before there were social media influencers, there were market editors. These scouts of the new would discover the latest and greatest new products, fresh talents and trends, and create compelling still life pages that prompted desire and sales. As the medium landscape has changed dramatically, the role of the market editor has evolved and changed as well, but it remains as crucial as ever. I'm joined today by market editors from three important design magazines who will explain how they work how social media has redefined their roles, what they're looking for and how they find it, and what excites them most about their jobs today. And I've had the good fortune of working with all three of them, so I know precisely how talented they are. First up is Catherine Given, the Senior Style and Market Editor at Lux. Hello, Catherine. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. We also have with us Benjamin Raynard, Style Director at Domino. Welcome, Ben. Great to be here, Michael. And finally, I'm so pleased to have with us Dale Wood, Senior Style and Market Editor at Veranda. Hello, Dale. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for having us. I want to have like almost like a two-part discussion here. Like first, traditionally what a market editor did, which had already evolved a lot due to the internet. And then we'll talk about how things have changed since the pandemic and COVID and how you guys have dealt with that. But I first want to get a sense of what your roles in comments? Because I think a lot of people, listen, I edited a magazine. I'm still not quite sure what all you guys did all day long. So I want to give our listeners a sense of what you actually did. Let's say when you had, went to the office, what did you do when there were markets and High Point Market and Salone, when you went to fairs and things like that? What was your role then? And then we'll get into what it was now. So why don't we start with you, Dale? I mean, in the simplest terms... Being a market editor means you are pounding the pavement, covering the interior design industry from top to bottom. We're attending trade shows, we're attending press previews, uh, market events, all sorts of things. And from that, we're kind of sussing out what we're seeing in what's new and what's next, what's coming up. And we're taking that and we're distilling it, we're refining it into story ideas that we then pitch to our editors at the magazine. And then from there, we're kind of turning them into concepts for shoots, for stories, and executing and producing these stories from start to finish. But I mean, I say that, and then in reality, we do so much more than that. We're stylists, we're photo shoot producers, we're digital editors now, which we'll get into later. We are interfacing with the advertisers. We are covering all sorts of markets. Um, I mean, some days I'm even a mailman, let's be honest. I'm packing and unpacking boxes, schlepping across the city. We really have our hands in so many facets of the, the magazine making process. And it's not always glamorous. I will. That staff of 10 assistants you have, Dale, they're oh, not yeah. packing those boxes for you? <laughs> not anymore, Michael. I don't think that ever happened. I got to tell you that. Not in my lifetime, no, but. People like to think. So, Catherine, like one of the things Dale was mentioning, you see a lot of stuff and then you have to distill it into ideas. You know, I mean, you can't. Here's a table. That's not an idea. Here's a chair. That's not an idea. So and I know and like you do a beautiful you all do. But, you know, you do beautiful still life stories for Lux for the various editions. Your work is featured in all the editions of Lux, I believe? Correct. Yes. The market pages in Lux are featured nationally and in every every edition, all 14 issues of Lux. But I'm so excited to be here 
So, you know, my friends and my family finally understand what we do. I think so many people think we're in marketing. You know, it's hilarious. My sister asked me the other day, are, are you still in marketing? So I just want to piggyback off Dale and just, you know, explain a little bit that we cover all product markets, right, for the magazine. So furniture, lighting, textiles, rugs, wall coverings, kitchen and bath, outdoor, jewelry, paint. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. As Dale said, you know, we're fully editing what we see and really picking the best of the best to show, you know, in an interesting captivating and hopefully inspiring way. And yes, as you said, Michael, you know, we do a lot of photo shoots at Lux. I love doing them. I feel so fortunate. And it's interesting because you really have to, when you see a product, you have to think, will this shoot well? Will this look good on page? You know, and and the bottom line is, you know, the editorial we're we're trying to show is, is to inspire, right? We want the reader to sort of pause and say, oh my gosh, I want that. Or now I want to shop or, you know, to really tear out the page. So a lot goes into shoots, you know, as we all know, from conception to pitching, to photographing the pieces, to back end. The story process is very complex, very detailed, but it's it's so rewarding to be able to sort of tell a visual story with products in the magazine. And Ben, you had a lot of different roles at a lot of different magazines now, and you're not that old. It's kind of impressive. But you always tend to come back to being involved with the market and doing shoots. Is that sort of what you love the most? Absolutely, Michael. And uh, you know, just echoing a little bit of what Dale and Catherine said, I think we all are at our core hunters and gatherers. So that is one thing. And I swear we were actually working when we weren't in the office. So I do have to preface with that. I never doubted it. (laughs) (laughs) And the market is really where I think ideas and trends and sort of movements really start. Everything from seeing a new piece of furniture at a trade show to talking to an artisan or a maker and seeing what they're wearing to getting a chance to visit creative spaces where ideas and drawings and people are actually developing new and interesting things that we've never seen before. And that I think is what is most exciting for a market editor really is to be able to have the opportunity to suss out things that are really exciting, really things that have never been seen before and things that we think people will will talk about. Now, Ben, you mentioned your hunters and gatherers, which I understand, but you know, there's a fine line between being a hunter and gatherer and being a high-end hoarder. So I guess the question is, how do you make sense? And this is what I want to get a sense from all of you. And I know it's kind of For you, it's instinctive, so it might be hard to articulate. But how do you know, like when you see three or four, you go to Maison Objet and and, uh, Deco Off, and you see, oh, suddenly there's 15 fabrics from different companies that are turquoise, and then maybe you see a turquoise bowl or some Maison, and then you come back to New York. So then, okay, maybe you suggest a story on turquoise. But I know you guys would always come to me with like really clever ideas or saying, you know, there's great wallpapers that we're starting to see now. And nobody had looked at wallpapers for years now, of course, it's ubiquitous. But you guys, how do you decide, you know? I mean, sometimes it's obvious. You know, I remember one year, Maison, everything was gray or orange. (laughs) But you guys do not promote the obvious. So how do you go about sorting through? 
Right, right. Well, I do have to say that I I hope that I am veering more towards the high-end hoarding because I am definitely a hoarder at heart. But we all spend our days scouring the market, whether that's virtually now or in the past, we would walk up and down the aisles of all the trade shows, the gift show, Shop Object, Maison, as you mentioned. And I think there are high standards in this industry. So we all, I think, feel when something really kind of stands out or we understand and can tell when something maybe isn't so iterative of the current trends or what's happening right now. One example that comes to mind is when we were at the gift show and I first was introduced to Sophie Tatlow of Utopia Goods. And she is an Australian screen printer and her designs are all created from the flora and fauna native to Australia. So it felt very different from things that we had seen in the past. And fortunately, it worked. You accepted and approved of that pitch. So I'm happy <laughs> <Okay>. to. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's it's also sort of understanding when color palettes feel different than what we're used to seeing and everything from color to material. Right. And Dale, I want to get a sense of you. There's so much stuff. How do you practically on a day-to-day basis keep track of it? I mean, obviously you take pictures with your phone, but how do you make sense of it? It is a constant battle to keep everything organized. I mean, you remember, Michael, when you'd come back from a trade show and you'd have three days worth of photos, of press kits, of information spinning around in your head. And not to mention all the emails that came in while you were away. Not to mention the (laughs) hundreds of emails that we received. Absolutely. I have to say one of the few blessings of this year is having the time to kind of take a step back and really be able to process and look and consider what we're seeing. You know, usually in previous years, we're just going every which direction, trying to get things done on deadline, get shoots happening in motion, everything. And this year, we've really had time to take a step back and and look at things, which has been kind of not granted, not in person, which I do miss terribly. But um, I think there's so many, you know, when you're seeing things constantly, it it is a creative challenge in your mind to kind of separate ideas. But, you know, when you go to the trade shows, honestly, I can't speak highly enough of a trade show. It, It really, things do stand out to you and you do, you know, we see so many things, but the beautiful things, the, the compelling things, the things you haven't seen before, they leave a lasting impression. And I think there's something to be said of that. And that really is where so many ideas come from. I'll mention too, as market editors, our job is not nine to five. We are turned on all day long, weekends, vacations. We're constantly seeking inspiration, visiting a museum, traveling anywhere we go, watching a movie even. I mean, there's some there's some idea, some story idea to be found anywhere. And love it or hate it for some of us. Sometimes you want to turn it off. Sometimes and that's why you get don't. paid for 24 hours a day, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so Catherine, I want to ask all of you, but we'll start with you, Catherine. How do you balance, because I know this, people ask me this all the time, but I want you guys to explain, how do you balance between paying attention, I'm not going to say catering to, but paying attention to your advertisers? Because of course, every magazine wants to support the people that support them. And I think that's a very valid thing. But at the same time, some of them can't have enough attention. And then also doing, you know, small makers, artists and small brands, new startup brands. How much of that comes into your thinking on a day-to-day basis, Catherine? 
Sure. I mean, it's really all about the mix. So you want to make sure you're hitting a lot of different notes. You're getting a lot of different people in, brands, you know, new companies. But the bottom line is we want to make sure that what we're showing in the magazine has not been widely seen, right? So, of course, we look to our partners, you know, for every story that we put together. But at Lux, it is pretty church and state, which I really, really appreciate. But especially now, we certainly want to support the artisan, right? The maker. And, you know, recently we did this story where we were looking at sort of the next generation of craftsmen and not being able to be out and about is is so, so challenging. So I feel like so much of where I got all of these amazing artisans and products, it was through social media, which, which is pretty interesting because I certainly have a love-hate relationship with Instagram, but it's it's proven to be a pretty amazing tool. But yeah, to go back to your question, Michael, I just want to make sure for all our stories that we're really showing a variety, and especially at Lux, we're hitting a lot of different notes, modern, traditional. You know, I wish there was a formula I could tell you, but as Dale said, it's sort of what you gravitate towards. And when you see something truly unique, truly original, it just sings. It's kind of like Christmas morning for me, right? When you're at a trade show and you stumble upon something you've never seen, then you're you're just so excited to put it in the magazine. Right. But now you brought up, Catherine, social media, and I want to get into that with all of you, because not only now do you have to pitch ideas for the, create pages for the magazine, find products for the magazine, but now you also have to do social media. Now, Ben, you are an early adopter of Instagram. That always impressed me. You're one of the first people I know to get a big following. How much of your time now, I'd love to hear from each of you, We'll start with you, Ben. How much time percentage-wise of your day is devoted to either looking at social media to find new things or posting on social media about things that you found or that relate to the magazine or your job? What percentage of your work day, which I know your work day is 24 hours, Dale, but let's say <laughs> let's say it were eight hours. How, what, how many hours a day do you do for social media, Ben? Um, I would say that it's probably much higher than I would like to admit. So I I have to admit that it's probably somewhere in maybe it's a quarter of my day is is sort wow. of not just scanning, but communicating with different individuals. It's sort of surprising to me what can end up getting buried into messages with individuals. I was recently introduced to an incredible Italian ceramicist over Instagram. So I'm treating Instagram right now before I ultimately delete it in the coming (laughs) years as another form of email. Right. But it has become that. I mean, I have hard trouble keeping up with emails and then texts. And now it's like, I get messages on Instagram, but it's, you're right. So it is something that you use now, Instagram messaging. It is, and it's... Do, do people pitch you by Instagram? They do. And some are received or communicated much more clear and better than others. But I definitely think that, to Catherine's point, Instagram is a tool that you can't really ignore at this time. I think that conversation is evolving and changing when you know, high-end brands like Bottega are deleting their accounts and 
going back to in-person invitation only experiences. I think it will, you know, those sort of the tide is changing. And so my feeling is get as much out of this lemon as you can squeeze now before we're on to the next thing. Right. Well, there will be another next thing. So, Dale, would you say it was the same, like a quarter of your day on social media, researching, pitching, promoting? Oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely am looking at it all day long. I'm not as nearly as big of a poster as Ben. I'm more of like a lurker, Mm -hmm. I guess you could say. If I've had a bad day, I have to say my favorite thing to do is look at my saved file. You know how Mm -hmm. you can go and see all your saved photos and all of that beauty that I have like pinned over the years just is like an instant spirit lifter for me. So there's so many good things about it. And it's such a good way to connect with people. I definitely do get pitches all the time, which is really fun. And I think it's such an interesting medium and way to be um, connecting. For and sure. do you use Instagram more than, like, say, Pinterest or any of the other social media things? I do. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do. But I mean, I, I dabble okay. in Pinterest, okay. too. And Catherine, what about you? Yes. As I mentioned, it's a little bit of a love-hate relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, yeah. it certainly is a tool that I use frequently to find, honestly, a lot of what we feature in the magazine right now, because, as I said, we can't be out and about. But during this time, it's just like, Instagram fatigue, right? Phone fatigue, laptop fatigue. So Zoom fatigue. Oh my gosh, yes. I've been trying to look through books and magazines and just kind of pause it a little bit more and, and try to get inspiration elsewhere because I think I think that's equally as important sometimes, you know, to just step back and, and kind of try to distill what you're seeing and and really look for for inspiration all over. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying our podcast. My name is Anna Brockway, and I'm the co-founder and president of Cherish. If you're a designer who's struggling with long lead times from suppliers and increasingly impatient clients, now is the time to shop with us. Our vintage antique and one-of-a-kind inventory is ready to ship right now. To learn more, visit Cherish.com. That's C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H.com. And now back to the show. Now, I want to get into how the pandemic has changed the way you work and the way producers work and all of that. So, yeah, why don't we start with you? There have been no fairs, High Point, Salon, you know, all of them have been canceled. We're hoping for 2021, but now it's looking like it probably be the last part of 2021. So how have you been getting information? How have brands been reaching out to you? How do you make up for not having that ability to walk down the aisle and say, I like this ignore this whole rest of this side of the aisle. There's two things on the, how do you operate? I really, I'm amazed that you guys can do it. It's been really challenging. I mean, so much of what we do, like I'm, I'm a huge textile nut and that's, I mean, I probably shouldn't say this, but it's my favorite category. Mm -hmm. I, I probably shouldn't admit that, but I do love it so much and missing being able to interact with product and open the cabinet drawer and feel a velvet. That is so important to us. And I think also readers look to us to have to right. know this product. And when you can't, when you're just looking at it from a PDF, it's never going to be the same. And I think it's been tricky or even like Zoom previews when people are holding up fabrics over a camera, a video screen, it's it's not quite the same. So it definitely hasn't been easy and we're all adapting. I think people have been learning that, okay, maybe we need to send fabric samples so people can touch and feel as we're doing the presentation. That's been super helpful for me. Any sort of like interactive 
Zoom preview where they're giving a tour of the showroom and you can see scale of pieces. It's really difficult right. to see the scale right. from just a simple right. image, you know? So, I mean, I think we're all learning as we've been going right. along. I think the brands are learning too. They're trying to... The brands yeah, are learning too, to absolutely. Yeah, and... And, Absolutely. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But I, I can't tell you how much I look forward to being able oh, to right. sit in that amazingly comfortable sofa at high right. point, whenever <laughs> that is. The, the two minutes a day you that know you that, get. Michael, right. You just dive into it at the end right. of the day. Yeah. That's that. I'm very well, excited good. for that. And Ben, how about you? Because you're out and about all the time anyway. So it's got to be so frustrating for you. We're all now longing for the days of high point, which I can't say that we never we used to would have had that thought. But I also have been requesting that fabric memos come to my apartment so I can see them and understand the color and the texture together. And I think we're all just yearning for that in-person experience. I think we're all, if you're following along on some of our Instagram stories, like we're all kind of making efforts to visit shopkeepers and actually go back to doing sort of local trips to retail spaces that we might not have normally gone to because our days were so packed. So places like Katie Leeds store in Sag Harbor and even just locally here in the city. Right. And Catherine, I want to ask you about this because I, I want to get a sense how much of your month, let's say, because Lux is basically monthly, and you have 14 editions, how much of your time is devoted to like, oh, here's a great table, here's a great chair, here's a great lamp, as opposed to those beautiful theme pages that you do? Are those harder? Are those easier to do? I mean, I would, I know they're not easier to do. It's, it's much easier to say, here's a nice table, here's a nice lamp. But just give me a sense of that process. So you're sort of saying pickup versus shooting, right? Right. I mean, know. creating those shoots, yes. Right. Yes. It's <laughs> a, a large part of my my month is devoted to that, Michael. I have to say, you know, pickup pages are really fun and they're certainly a little bit easier, but we start thinking about our our photo shoots. We shoot 10 to 15 pages in, in Lux, full pages in every issue. It's a lot. And yeah, it was really challenging, you know, during the pandemic when we couldn't shoot. That was sort of a low point for me because it's such a creative outlet. And I think it just, it lets the product sing, as I mentioned. And I'm so happy that at least now we're, we're doing that again. I have to say, we, we sort of thought outside of the box. We shot outside a lot, which certainly presents its own challenges at a concrete amphitheater in Yonkers at a dilapidated beach club on the Rockaways. All the glamour spots. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful backdrops. But somehow we made it work. And as Dale said, we are messengers, we're carpenters, we're cleaners, we're delivery men. And it's far from glamorous when you're on these shoots. You know, so, so much goes into it. And you really have to think about every detail from, you know, how the pieces are getting there to the angle they're shot at, what's going on which page, the backdrop, the setting. You have so many talks with the photographers. So again, it's so, so fun for me. I think seeing your creative vision really realized is one of the most rewarding parts for me for being a market editor. But let me tell you, yeah, certainly a lot goes into it. So here, I want to get a little practical advice. We have a lot of listeners. Well, most of our listeners are designers. Several of them now do product. Many of them do product. So I'm sure they're interested. What's the best way to approach you guys in terms of informing you about what they're creating? And what's the worst way? What do you hate about how brands or makers approach you and how should they be doing it? Ben, why don't we start with you? 
Well, carrier pigeon is always preferred. <laughs> so if that's if that's an option. But in all seriousness, I have to say that I just I hate generic emails. And if an email is not if it's a generic email that is not directed towards me, I just delete it at this point because nowadays I'm pretty confident that I know who is where and where things are coming from. I think the best way to uh, communicate is just is just really directly and really honestly and openly and authentically, whether that's in an email, a letter, over Instagram. I think if you're really passionate and very clear and feel strongly about what you're doing, I think that always comes through no matter what. They should have good visuals, no? That they attaching. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you joke, but sometimes I get, you know, no visuals and I don't know what they're talking about. Oh, def- I mean, we're all visual people. That's so important. But we were having this conversation just the other week where sometimes it's kind of alluring to not have professional visuals. And, you know, you have some iPhone photos and you're like, oh, I just scouted a, a project and I don't have professional photos. And all I have are these like really bad iPhone photos. And I'm kind of like really interested in a way, because I'm like, oh, it hasn't been professionally shot. It could shoot from this angle. The light looks interesting, even though it's not a composed photo. I love that too, because when you get photos like that, it kind of feels like this is just for us and no one has seen this because it's just kind of a rogue Instagram or iPhoto photo, you know, and it it feels there's something really special about that too, like just off the chopping block kind of thing. Getting in early on. Yeah, totally. Right, that's great. And do all of you... Because you are out and about. I mean, you're not really, your job is not necessarily to find interiors for the magazines to publish. You do meet a lot of designers and get a lot of information. So is that something that you do? They'll listen to you if you say, oh, I hear there's a great young designer. We should check them out. How stratified, I guess, is the structure of each of your magazines? I mean, Michael, we're jacks of all trades these days. So I think great spaces and designs kind of do come from everywhere. So if we're visiting someone who has a really incredible studio, it's kind of like, I wonder what their house looks like and does anyone know about it? Right, right. And and Catherine, you can go to then Pamela or somebody and say, I think you should check this out. I was really excited to see this. Certainly. You know, what Ben said, if you get pitched, you know, an amazing product, in many cases, there's an amazing space behind it, right? In some instances. So the story can quickly evolve to even be a larger profile or a several page story where it's a beautiful tablescape in a room. Or I also cover kitchen and bath. So I'm putting a PSA out here. I'm always on the hunt for chic kitchens and baths. Oh, you heard it here first at the Cherish podcast. (laughs) Good to know. yeah, as you know, can sort of be tricky right. to, to parcel off from the rest of a home. Right. So yeah, we, we are certainly looking at interiors as well. But you know, at Lux, there's obviously a features team and an FOB team that that covers that a little bit more in depth. Right. right. And what would you say, Dale, we'll start with you. What would you, I'd love to hear from each of you. What is the biggest challenge of what you're doing now, aside from pandemic? Let's say, is it the shift so much to social media? Is it Fewer pages. Most of the magazines have fewer pages to work with than they used to. What's the biggest challenge? For me, it's definitely a little bit of all of that. I think that one of the biggest challenges to me is, especially where Instagram is concerned, with the immediacy of Instagram. So we are publishing six times a year for Veranda. And I know that Ben and Catherine are in a similar boat where, you know, we're not every month. We are working three to four months out. 
So it's really tricky. I, I don't think that just showing something, showing a great table, for instance, and saying that this is new, like get excited about it. That doesn't cut it anymore because you can go onto Instagram and see that. And we've always been doing this, but even more so now, I think we really have to be approaching every single thing that we're showing in the magazine and thinking about what differentiates the way that we're telling the story versus our competitors versus some influencer on Instagram? Is it the context that we're giving? Is it looking at the artisan and the maker behind it? Is it history to it? We have to think outside of the box a lot more, which I think is a fun thing. And I, that's something that I love doing now more than ever. And I can thank Instagram for that, I guess. Yeah, well, it's pushed to a higher level. So Ben, what about you? Honestly, one of the biggest challenges that we're all facing I think collectively is, is just, there's less people doing what we're doing. So I remember when I was an editorial assistant at traditional home, I would look over the cubicles and the desks and just, and see a sea of editors and sort of have this thought of like, wow, this is a great idea. And I think more and more, this role is becoming just much more rarefied. And I think we're all very excited and lucky to be working in the way that we are. And I think, as Dale's saying, as things become more and more ubiquitous and everywhere, I think actually our roles are even more important than they have ever been. Because we, I think, are all trying to give context to what's out there and to share a point of view. As everything kind of becomes a little bit milk toast out there, I think I'm excited to see what Dale's doing. I'm excited to see what Catherine's doing. And I'm energized by those different viewpoints. And Catherine, what about for you? Well, I think something that that is challenging right now, and I've, I've talked to Ben and Dale about this a little bit, is exclusivity and the fact that so much is already seen on social media, right, and on designers' webpage and on all different sorts of platforms. And sometimes it seems like you can't really get an exclusive for the magazine almost. It, it's, it's pretty tough these days. So I think, as Dale said, it's just making sure that what we show is shown from a different viewpoint and just feels very different because so many things, the the market is so saturated and it's hard to find something unique and original before it's out there. Right. And I think that in a way, the Instagram kind of changed the idea of who was an expert and who you trusted because, you know, it used to be that magazine people would present and and you would just trust that this was the best or this was really good quality, generally the best, and it was, you know, you would look to them. Then with the flood of images from Instagram, everything beautiful, so much beautiful stuff. But in a way, I think now, and I'd love to get your take on this, what you guys see ahead, I think the role of the editor, market editor or editor-in-chief, whatever it is, design editor, is in a way becoming more important because there is so much information out there that you need somebody to distill it down. Do you feel that way or do you feel that there's a flood of information and imagery out there and there's just no way to to deal with it? Why don't we start with you, Ben? I mean, I have to completely agree. And Oh, that's nice. (laughs) (laughs) There is a lot out there. And I think what's becoming more and more of a priority for me is just is more of a sort of direct communication style and voice with the sort of stories that we're telling. I think we as you're sort of alluding to, are becoming 
our audience's sort of trusted experts slash friends slash someone who can do the work for you and help you navigate like this whole sea of everything out there. So I hope that people look to us as individuals who can do that work for them from an expert eye. We've all been doing this for quite some time. And I think more and more brands, designers, and individuals will embrace older technologies as sort of everyone migrates to one place. I think we'll see people starting to migrate back to other places. Yeah, what do you think? Is it sort of the same for you? Do you think that your role is, clearly it's harder and it's more time consuming? Absolutely. But do you think it's more becoming more important in a way? Oh, absolutely. The other thing to point out too is that we all come from this, we all come to this job with a, from a place of such passion. Like I live and breathe decorating and interior design. I mean, a bullion fringe like sets my heart aflutter, you know? So I, I hope and I, and I do think that people understand that and they look to us as the experts and as the people that are dedicating our lives to pounding the pavement, hunting and gathering, as Ben said. I spend my entire day, as we've already established, 24 hours a day, I am immersed in this world. And I think think there's so much to be said of that in those stories that we're putting together, whether it's for digital or print. Like I've never been so excited when I see a painted floor in a kitchen. And you know, it's it's the little things that get me really. But but yeah, I think I hope that that comes across and that means that people will continue to turn to us. And I think one of the ironies of the pandemic has been that we all thought at the beginning it was going to kill every industry and certainly it's had a horrible effect on the economy. But home has been one area that has actually done very well during the pandemic because I think the importance of home, especially when you're forced to be there all the time, has become only more evident. And I think that what you guys all do, people realize it's really, really important to having a beautiful home, to keeping your home au courant, when you're building a new home or moving, whatever, you want to know the best that's out there, and that's what you guys do. So I have one last question for each of you. Well, one, yes, one question for all three I want you to answer. I know you guys are good friends. I, I can tell you are three of my favorite people to ever work with. But seriously now, how competitive are you with each other? Uh-oh. <laughs> what, what sort of answer do you want to hear? Whatever you feel like saying. No, I mean, because I like you were saying, it's, exclusivity is hard. Like if you find somebody or somebody is great, do you think I want this for myself? I mean, seriously, jokingly, well, but seriously. I will say that, you know, the titles we work for do have pretty different voices, True, which that is helps. fortunate. But let me tell you, yeah, Dale has scooped that exclusive from me. I, yeah, oh, I'm, not I could happy about it. You. I'm not happy about it. <laughs> this is where we, we want know drama. What, we know when Dale is going to get something. <laughs> But I've also mentioned something in passing, and then the next thing I know, I open Lux, and there it is. So, you know. No, I honestly, like, I feel so lucky to have worked with all three of you in my career and have learned so much and have been so inspired. So to me, it's it's not competition. It's cheering each right, other on. Right, you know? right. I mean, we're all in this together. And I think the importance of, of print and social media and the internet and websites are so important. But, you know, you guys are carrying on the great tradition of print, which obviously I love. And I'm so proud of what you all do and how hard you work. And I always have been and I continue to be. And really, I want to thank you all for being here today on the Cherish Podcast. Dale, Ben and Catherine, thank you so much. and Keep up the great work. Thank you. 
thank you. You've been listening to the Cherish podcast, brought to you, of course, by Cherish, which was recently voted by the readers of USA Today as the best place to shop online for furniture and home decor. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague. Or better yet, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word. And we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherish Podcast is produced by Britta Muller and engineered by Hangar Studios in New York. Until next time. Music.